Grab your um, Bibles and turn, and we're in our series of messages called The Culture of Offense. And I've been giving you, here's where we're pulling from, uh, the different John Brevere's book, The Bait of Satan, and then uh, How to Be Free from Bitterness, a booklet by Jim Wilson, and then a series, a sermon series called Trap by Nathan Hedinga, who's the pastor at Cascade Community in Monroe. And uh, I have another one. Um, next week, we'll be talking about uh, forgiveness. And uh, there's a new... Uh, video DVD out called Undaunted, which is the early life story of Josh McDowell. And uh, if you want to see a modern life illustration of that, um, that's a good DVD series. It's called Undaunted. And uh, next week, we'll also have a testimony up here of uh, forgiveness and how God has worked that. And so I want to make you aware of that as well. All right. All right. We've been working out of this passage. It's found in Matthew. And it says, then many will be offended and will betray each other. Betray one another, will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Let's pray this morning. Father, as we gather before you, it's always an amazing mystery of how you work through the ministry of preaching. And yet many of us uh, have been blessed by that. We've heard your voice. We've heard your word. Uh, There's been incredible times where you have spoken. And we ask for that again this morning. You are our Father. You are the perfect Father. And uh, Father, as, as we gather before you, you know what we need. You know the particular circumstances. You know our heart. You know the state we're in. You know... Um, what our questions are. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would uh, match that this morning. Lord, you know our tendency uh, to take offense. I don't think that's a surprise to you, having watched us through our history. And, um, and help us this morning as we try to wrestle with the way you would want us to do it instead of the way our flesh would want to do it. And so we give that to you with hope, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Last week, just to do a, a, a quick review, we uh, talked about the slippery slope and we talked about the issue of offense and how easy it is to take offense. Um, that part wasn't too hard to sell because most of us bounce into that and have run into that where someone has greatly offended us. But we talked about how quickly it spins from offense to anger. And we, t- we said that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And then from anger to bitterness, uh, and bitterness is where it becomes toxic. It's where it becomes, uh, it, if you bump a person, it just spills out of them, and you catch it real quickly. And then if it isn't uh, halted at that stage, then it becomes rage. And uh, uh, you, you probably run into people who are, are full of rage or at different times, and um, it, it's actually a consuming thing. Well, th- this morning we're going to look at another slippery slope, Uh, that takes that same pattern. Uh, The first one here, it says, then many will be offended, uh, will betray one another, and will hate one another. By the way, the version in Matthew 24 that we're working out of is the New King James Version for this series. Uh, Most of us have NIV, but that's where I'm getting the word offended. In the NIV, it says many will turn away, all right? But if you think about being offended, what do you do when you're offended? You turn away, right? So that makes sense. But you have the sin of offense, and then what you find the pattern is is 
It goes from offense down to betrayal, and then from betrayal to hatred. And uh, it's a pattern that uh, has been played out all through human history and um, is played out in the movies, right? Do you see that pattern in the movies when you watch the movies? All you got to do is watch the Avengers or any of that kind of stuff, and you see that pattern played out. And this morning, um, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the life of Joseph and watch a man who resisted falling into these slippery slopes uh, and had every right to do so. So if you take your Bibles, there's going to be a lot of text here. Um, And I want to start in Genesis, and I want to start in Genesis 29. And I'm not going to read all of them, but you can kind of flip along and flip through. You know the stories well. But I want to show you that the sin of offense is, uh, when you think about it, it is everywhere in the Bible. Uh, And it surfaces very quickly. If you're talking about the first book, Genesis, and it actually begins um, with Joseph's father, Jacob. And if you remember the story of Jacob, he goes to Padanaram to find a wife, and he runs into Rachel, and uh, she is beautiful, and, and so he is excited about marrying her. And so he enters into a contract agreement um, with her brother Laban to work seven years for uh, Rachel and get her as a wife. And the Bible says he was so in love with Rachel that it seemed but a moment, right? And then uh, it was time for the wedding. And so they, um, they threw the wedding, Okay, and they had a big wedding and um, lots of festivities, probably drinking some wine. And so he goes to the tent that night and makes love to his wife and wakes up in the morning and finds out it's not Rachel, it's Leah, the older sister. Now just put yourself in that spot for a minute, okay? I want to tell you something. I was single till I was 38, and if I had woken up with somebody else besides Pam... That would have been quite a startling thing. I would not have said, gee, this is interesting. That would have been a major deal, and it was a major deal for Jacob. And uh, what it does is set in motion some things that um, we're familiar with. Have you ever wondered what was behind all that? Why they gave uh, Leah instead of Rachel? And that it was an offense. In that culture, uh, the oldest daughter always was to be married before the youngest daughter. And the fact that Jacob loved the younger daughter and asked for the younger daughter instead of the older daughter, it was an offense. And so they took offense to that and they came up with a clever plan and they betrayed him. And so Jacob didn't wind up with Rachel. He wound up with um, Leah. And then... He still wants Rachel, so he works another seven years, so 14 years total. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this is we always forget the time frames, right? Um, when an offense happens to us, we think, okay, it's got to be fixed today. A lot of times it doesn't get fixed till a, a while down the road, and, and we get really impatient with that. I remember one time I was talking to a brother in the Lord, and he was in a very difficult trial, and he said, I've had it. God hasn't come through for me. I'm done. I said, I said, well, you know... Jacob was 14 years with um, Leah and Rachel, and Joseph was in prison for 17 years, and David had to wait that long for the kingdom. And he goes, knock it off, okay? (laughs) (laughs) The time frames often throw us. 
But so he ends up working for both wives. And here's what you find in that story. If you read through and you're just glancing through and trailing it, that not only was the family offended, but then uh, Leah and Rachel are offended with each other and they enter into a competition. And the competition is the one who can have the most children will be the most loved by the husband. And so therefore they enter into this competition who can have children. And if you look at the children that were born out of this uh, union, if you look up there, now Leah, those are the names you remember, right? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and Zebulun. Judah is the son, the son that the line of Christ came through. Lots of story into that too, why it was uh, Judah and not the top three, but uh, we don't have time for that this morning. Zilpha was Leah's uh, maid, and then Billa was Rachel's maid. And so when Leah stopped having, or started to have children, Rachel gave Billa to uh, Jacob. She started having children, and then Zilpha started having children. So there was a competition, not just between the sisters, but even between their maids. And that ended up creating 12 children. Actually, 13, Diana is up there, daughter, uh, but I don't have her up there. Um, and you can see how it's broken apart. So the first, uh, you see the first five there are born, and then you see the next three, Gad, Asher, and Issachar. Then Dan and Naphtali were born. And then lastly, God opened the womb of Rachel, and she was actually able to have children. And the two that were born to them was Joseph and then Benjamin. And Joseph is the one that the story wraps around today. But you will see very quickly the offense of the family and the offense of the parents travels down to the children. So let's look at that. We're now in Genesis 37. And I was going to have this rat trap this morning, and when I got to each point for uh, talking about an opportunity for a, an offense, um, I was going to spring the rat trap, but I broke it, so I don't know. So you'll have to imagine the rat trap snapping. But this is a pretty substantial rat trap. And what we said is that um, when it comes to offense, the word used is scandalon, and scandalon is this little bait piece here that you put the cheese or the peanut butter or whatever on and when the animal bites on that that springs the trap okay and it's a pretty powerful uh, spring if you do it like that you can imagine so like that offense tries to trap us and so offense number one the offended brothers betray joseph if you look in chapter 37 it says joseph a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Billa and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, how well is that going to go? Right there. First, first line, Joseph's the young, snot-nosed kid in the bunch, right? And he brings a bad report about his older brothers. If you're the older brother, how, does it, how well does that go? And so you can see this pattern starting to happen right now. Israel, that would be Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And because he had been born to him in his old age, he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And so already in motion, right from the get-go, offense has traveled down through the family line. And when it comes to Joseph... They know dad loves him more. He gave him a symbol of his love and it is galling to him. Remember he said galling means it rubs them the wrong way. It chafes them. And so they are chafed in their spirit. They're chafed in their hide. 
and they are rubbed the wrong way, and there's an offense taken here to the point where they couldn't even say anything kind to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, this is going to help a lot, by the way, right here, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, just go back a second here. That's going to go over well in that group, right? Uh, I didn't come from a family of 12. I came from, I'm the oldest of eight, but my dad comes from a family of 15. And I can tell you in a large family like that, that if the youngest were to tell the older ones how that would go, um, they would wind up in the barn somewhere, all right? <laughs> Duct tape to something, all right? So th- this, you can see where this is suddenly uh, escalating out of shape really quick. Now, for Joseph's part, he's probably oblivious to it, and he is doing what God told him to do. The dreams came from God, Scripture tells us that, and he's telling them, now, I wonder if he did it wisely or not. You know, there's two ways to do that. And uh, I wonder um, how much humility there was in there. But his brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. And then he said, just to put icing on the cake, I had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brother, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. At least Jacob was able to ponder it a little bit because Jacob had had some very uh, unique workings with the Lord and he knew how the Lord worked, so he was able to process that a little bit. Now skip down to verse 17. So time goes on. Joseph uh, is asked by his dad to go out and check on his brothers to see how the sheep are doing. And so it says Joseph went after his brothers, found him near Dotham. And when they saw him at a distance before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Right? You can see how bitterness and all that has built up to rage. Where it's, boy, let's, let's take him out. We're out here. Nobody knows it. Nobody will see. We can get away with this. And he said, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we will see what happens to his dreams. A lot of times if you think of when we take offense, what happens? It's because somebody seems to be killing our dream, particularly our dream from God, something that we felt like God had told us we were supposed to do. And it gets very, very difficult and tough at that stage And so the sin of offense has now borne the full fruit of hatred. And when you're fully full of hate, what's the logical result? Murder, right? We see that all the time in the papers. You see it on the news. Um, uh, It becomes who's going to win to the ultimate game. And if I have to, I will take you out over this deal. And so they plan to take him out. The oldest brother, Reuben, at least had some mercy. And uh, he had him throw him in a cistern with the hope that they would later... Uh, he'd be able to pull him out. Uh, and then the brothers were sitting around eating. And while they were sitting around eating, uh, this caravan of Ishmaelites come through. And Judah says, well, let's not kill him. Then we'd have his blood on our hands, right? And so 
they, uh, trying to reduce the penalty here a little bit. So they sold them to the Ishmaelites and they cart them off to Egypt, knowing that Joseph would be a slave in Egypt and they would never see him again. Reuben comes back, he's out of shape, and uh, they take the robe, they dip it in animal's blood, they bring it back to your father, said, ah, gosh, sorry, dad, I guess a wolf got him. And uh, is this your son's robe? Yeah, well, he's gone. And, uh, you know, and then they just went on with their business. And for all practical purposes, Joseph is dead. All right? Remember that in this story, one of the problems we have with the Bible is that we know the end of the stories. Okay? In your life, do you know the end of the story? No. You have no idea where it's going to go or how God's going to take it. Have you had people offend you? Oh, I bet you you have. If we sat down right here and we had set a microphone up and I said, those of you who have an offense, come up and share. We would never end. Right? Every single one of us have probably not only an offense, but multiple offenses. And so Joseph's dreams at that point are dead. He doesn't know the end of the story. But he would, let let me ask you a question at this point. Do you think he would have the right to be offended at this? Do you think he would have been a little upset at how things played out? Did that look fair after God gave him dreams about what was going to happen? He now finds himself ostracized into Egypt as a slave, has no rights whatsoever, and will probably never see his father again or his younger brother Benjamin, whom he loves. Think of what that felt like. Think of what that looked like. He doesn't know the end of the story. When you don't know the end of the story, it's really easy to take offense and become bitter because you can't always see God's... Could Joseph see God's hand in this? I don't think so. All right, opportunity for offense number two. Joseph is unfairly uh, thrown in jail. If you go on in Genesis here and look, um, he gets sold uh, to Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Pharaoh's army, uh, very high standing, and Joseph is a pretty good-looking young stud, and uh, Potiphar's wife knows him, gets the hots for him, and wants to bet him. That's probably the cleanest way I could put that in church, all right? If you, I'm not twisting it, read it, it's right there, all right? It's exactly what it says. And so she pursues him. She tries to entice him. And it says, day after day, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't like, oh, it's here and I can get away. He can't go anywhere because he's a slave. He's in the house. And so every day becomes a cat and mouse game of how can I avoid Potiphar's wife? How can I stay away from her? And he probably does it fairly well most of the time. But there was one day when he couldn't do it. Everybody was gone. And she said, come make love to me. And he said, how could I do this? My master's given me everything. How could I sin against him? And how could I sin against God this way? Very telling uh, about who Joseph was. And she grabs his cloak to pull him to the ground to make love with him. And he runs and escapes. Well, then, of course, dirty pool. Ah! He tried to rape me, right? And she's got the evidence in his hand. Joseph has no way to defend himself. And he is thrown into the dungeon, into prison. Now, we do have one clue here that Potiphar sort of kind of had a hint. Okay? 
And the reason we know he kind of had a hint is because if Potiphar truly believed that Joseph had tried to rape his wife, he would have been dead on the spot. I think Potiphar knew that there was something going on here, and I think he probably even suspected his wife, and therefore the kindest thing he could do was throw Joseph into prison. He spared his life, but again, Joseph loses all his options. Now think about this. You were on the top rung. God was speaking to you. He was giving dreams about how he was going to use your life, and you find yourself exiled and completely out of your family and completely out of the land that you grew up in. And then you get something back. It's not the best, it's not the greatest, but you're in this house and, and God is working and you're established and you get honor and the, the guy, Potiphar, turns over everything to you and you do what's right and Potiphar prospers and then his wife does something crooked and you wind up in prison, you wind up with absolutely no options again. How would that feel to you? Would you take offense at that point? Don't you think that would have gnawed at Joseph's soul to grab that? That trap went off? Can't you hear the trap springing right now in your mind? Bam! Look at what they did to you. Offense number three. He's in jail. Even in jail, God begins to prosper him again, and he's given freedom in the jail and control of the jail. And in that, he helps two people, a cupbearer and a baker for the king, for Pharaoh. And they have dreams, and so Joseph interprets the dreams for him. For the cupbearer, it's you will be restored. For the baker, uh, too bad, you're going to be executed in a couple days. And then it played out exactly as Joseph had prophesied. And he says to the cupbearer, hey, when you get out of here, remember me and speak a kind word to Pharaoh. Well, the cupbearer gets out and he completely forgets. And Joseph languishes in prison for another two years. Two years. Two years. Two years. 365 days times two. 24-7. Two years. Have you ever entrusted somebody something to somebody and they failed you and failed to follow through? Did you ever take offense at that? Slam, trap number three. I helped those guys out. I gave them the interpretation of the dream. I helped them get out of jail and they didn't even remember me. Can you hear the trap springing? Snap. Opportunity for offense number four. This is a good one. His brothers come to him and they don't know who he is. All right, now if you've been uh, chained to a camel and walked to Egypt, if you've been hauled into a foreign land, if you've been sold in slavery as a piece of material, uh, a possession, you have been in Potiphar's house and you had it all brought back to you and then it was all taken away because somebody else cheated you and then you wind up in jail. You have more dreams you can... Uh, you help the guy out the dreams, then they forget you for two years. Then later in the story, God gets you out of jail and you are made prominent. You are now, because of the interpretation of the dreams to Pharaoh, you are raised to second in the land. There is nobody more powerful, nobody more clout, nobody with more political connections than you except for Pharaoh himself. And 
those dirty rats who started this whole chain of thing show up in front of you. And they don't know who you are. I actually had this happen years ago. Uh, Kirk's here this morning. He'll remember this story. And we did a, 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 we took our youth group out to Camp Bighorn and we were helping to build Camp Bighorn at the time. And uh, there was one particular guy who was not really cooperating very well and uh, was kind of messing around with the gals. And one night when it came time for everybody to go to bed, I look and this one particular guy and this one particular gal were missing and I couldn't find them. And so I'm sitting by the front of the bus. It's dark. It's like 11.30 at night. And I'm sitting at the front of the bus on a log just in the quiet. And, uh, and I see, and you know, in, in Montana, you get that background light, right? That kind of twilight. So, and I see this guy coming out across the field. And I recognize it's the kid I've been looking for, right? And I am sitting there and I'm thinking, he does not know I'm here. And as he comes closer, I realize... And this dark thought entered my mind. I'll, I'll, I can confess it now because it's 30 years later. <laughs> I was sitting there and I went, he doesn't know I'm here. I could cold cock that sucker and he would never know what hit him. I could wake up in the morning and go, gosh, what happened to you? Oh my gosh, did you run into something? That's terrible. I feel so bad for you. And I, I, sat about, I, thought, I actually thought about it. Thankfully, the Lord was, told me I couldn't. Um, so I just sat there in the dark and I said, hey. And he didn't know where the voice was coming. You could just, you know, terror, right? I said, we'll talk in the morning. I figured it better to make him stew all night and worry and fear that way. Um, but that tendency to cold cock the people who are causing you problems, right? Now, you know why you're laughing? Because you all can identify with that, all right? We've all had that in our minds. And it's a difficult place to be. And Joseph, here he is. His brothers come bowing before him. They're trying to get grain because there's a terrible famine. They've been reduced to nothing. And Joseph knows who they are and they don't know who he is. What an opportunity. Snap! What a chance to play out an offense. What an absolute cupcake placed right in front of you. I mean, that ball coming across the plate looks like a watermelon right here. He can take them out. And what you find is he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. And if you read the story, he reveals himself to his brothers. He's gracious to his brothers. He brings his brothers in. They come and they are given the best place in the land. They're introduced to Pharaoh and he sets them up to prosper. Would you do that? There's one more opportunity, opportunity number five, and that is when Jacob dies. Jacob is elderly, he blesses all the sons, and then he dies, and his brothers freak out, and they come to Joseph and they say, our father wanted us to tell you that he begs you to forgive his sons and not to harm them. Why were they saying that? Because they were scared to death, because what is in your mind? Joseph was kind to us till Jacob was gone. Once dad's out of the picture, now Altar's going to break loose. And they were terrified that Joseph would fall back into uh, the sin of offense and the sin of bitterness and the sin of retaliation. 
In Genesis 50 says this, probably one of the more famous lines in all the Bible. Joseph said to him, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended harm for me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let's uh, pull a couple things out of this. Here's the bait. Here's what we're baited with. If I've been genuinely mistreated, I have the right to be offended. That's what Satan tells us. And I don't have to tell you that because all of us have walked through that many times in our lives and there's probably scenarios flashing in your mind of how you both reacted right and wrong at different times in our lives of when we've been offended. Just walked you through how Joseph handled it. But that's the bait, the snap. What's on this scandal on, what's the bait here to spring the trap right here is you've been offended. You've been hurt. You have the right to retaliate. Snap. Bite it. Satan wants to kill us with it. So let's ask the question this morning. Do you ever find yourself offended? Do you know people in your life who are trapped by offense? All you have to do is jostle them and it spills out. One of the dreams here is that... um, This would be a sweet place, not a sour, offended place. Do you know people? Nate in his series says it this way, if I grab the bait, then I become bitter, not better. What we don't realize is that Satan baits the trap so that we will become less than what the Lord wants us to be, not more than what the Lord wants us to be. I think Nate put that in a good way. He also says this, which I think is profound. And when you think in terms of the life of Joseph, it's really true. What you do with the offense will determine your future. In other words, how you handle it and how you handle it before the Lord will determine your future. Here's the amazing thing about Joseph. I don't know if you've thought about this yet. Um, But when you read his story, the thing I find absolutely stunning about Joseph, is he had no Bible. There was no Bible at that time. Not even the first five books were written. Moses recorded this story about Joseph, but there was no first five books when Joseph went through this. He had no Bible to go off of. All he had to go off of was the oral tradition of Abraham to his father Isaac, to his father Jacob, then down to Joseph. So it was four generations removed that had come down the tracks. He didn't have a Bible to tell him, oh, you shouldn't take offense or you shouldn't be bitter or bitterness stains. He went off of gut instinct in what the Holy Spirit was telling him to do and how to do it. And in that, he ended up playing out one of the greatest dramas in the history of the world. Think of how the world would be different today if Joseph had taken an offense instead of doing it the way he'd done it. Think of how the Bible would be different and think about how world history would be different if Jacob 
or Joseph had collapsed into that pit and taken the bait of offense. Stunning, isn't it? Think about how profound that is. Here's what Nate says that I think is really true. In the story of Joseph, Joseph lost every freedom that he had except the freedom to respond correctly. The only freedom he hadn't lost was the freedom to respond correctly. If you think about our circumstances, sometimes that's true, isn't it? Sometimes the only response we have left, the only freedom we have left is to respond correctly because we've lost the other options. So the question this morning for us, because I believe the same God that talked to Joseph is the same God talking to us, is will we trust even when circumstances scream get even? How will we react when Satan baits the trap of offense for us? I want to suggest that it determined Joseph's future. I want to suggest that it probably determines our future. Probably determines the future of our church as well. Let's pray. Father, as we have walked through this, all of us know what it's like to have been baited with this trap. All of us probably can look at times where we've handled it well. All of us can probably look at times when we've handled it poorly. Some of us may be in the midst of it right now. As we are before you, our prayer this morning is, would you please help us to respond the way Joseph responded? What an amazing, amazing response from a man who lost everything several times over and at the end of it had no bitterness in his spirit whatsoever. My estimation of him has gone up a thousandfold just in reading through that story uh, again this week and understanding what was at stake and understanding how he chose to respond. I can look back at places in my life, Father, where I wish I would have responded even half as good as he responded. And so we give that to you this morning recognizing that you don't give us this stuff to guilt us or to trap us. You give us this stuff because you're trying to warn us. You're trying to warn us about a deadly strategy of our enemy. You're trying to warn us about um, something that will go so toxic it even potentially turns us away from you. Father, you're talking about uh, damage and that kind of stuff. And we, we seek you this morning that you would help. And we pray for your grace that we would... If we're in the process, Lord, that you'd help us respond the way Joseph did, Lord, and you'd help us keep a watchful eye for where traps are set in our life for us to take offense. Help us to respond the way you would respond and help us to listen to your spirit closely and may there be not only great joy in that, may there be great life in that as well. And we give that to you with hope in your name. Amen.